Okay, we are uh, continuing in Matthew, still in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7. We've been going uh, line by line, verse by verse uh, through this. Hopefully it's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to me. I've been learning a lot, and I continue to learn a lot every single every single time I open it. And it's funny how you can, you can do that with Scripture, right? Like, it's, uh, uh, like, like it never cheats you. It's a well that you cannot run dry. Um, so like you can be extremely familiar with a certain section of Scripture or a certain verse, and he will just peel back a curtain yet again every time you go to that one that you think you know well, and he'll show you something new. He'll show you a greater depth. He'll show you a greater reality of himself and what you need exactly in that moment when you come to that well. And so uh, I've just had my, my socks blessed off uh, again, thinking I was a, uh, oh, I know the Sermon on the Mount well, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm going to be able to teach this well. And then I come in and I'm just being destroyed all over again by so much um, in my own life. And, and I praise God for that. I need it. I need to be, uh, I need my brain rearranged and uh, scrubbed uh, as, <laughs> every day, uh, every single day. Uh, hope, I, I believe that's probably true for you too. So uh, Matthew chapter 7, we're um, today going to be verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, yeah, he's talking to us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Is this not a great passage? This is an amazing passage. I love this verse. I love this verse, and I need this verse right now. Um, and the reason I need this verse is because I often think that God doesn't hear me, like that he, that he doesn't hear me. He hears other people. Uh, he, he's attentive to other people. Uh, he listens to you guys uh, when, you, when you pray. He's generous towards you, but not me. This is what my head does over and over again. And so my, my inward conclusion often with prayer is that, is that God is pleased to be good to others, but just not to me. God is distant from me. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't care about me. He's mad at me. Maybe he's not my father. Maybe I'm not his kid. I think this often. Because if I was, I would, I would just be uh, enduring things that are enjoyable and, and good according to me and, and never bad things from him. And, and so, like, obviously, as you listen to the stupidity and the madness that comes out of my mouth and my brain, uh, you know that I need this verse. I need this verse. I needed this verse to actually fall on me this week. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, we have a rotation of pastors, if you're new. We have three pastors. We all share the pulpit. We all rotate through. And so we don't pick and choose, like, who gets what. We simply go in order, and this stuff falls on whoever it falls on. And, and God has really been hitting it. Um, right with me on the last few that he's given me, including this one. I, I need this verse to rework my broken brain because it is broken. I need this verse to remind me that much of what goes on in my brain as far as how I think God should or doesn't answer my prayers is simply not true. A lot of what I tell myself is not true. 
And this verse is reminding me of that. Right? I, I, I need this, this verse to consider the possibility that I don't fully properly understand this verse and what's being communicated here. And so I need to look at it again. Um, this verse, like many others, can be and often is interpreted so wrong. I mean, like cults have started because of verses like this in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? The, the entire word of faith movement, name it and claim it movement, is built on texts like this, right? And, and there's a lot of damage that those have done to Christianity and to people's faith and to people's lives as a result of what people have done with verses like this. And what makes this verse so convincing, why churches are formed out of it, why a word faith movement exists it, it, with a, a verses like this is because it, 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 Jesus is making here emphatic, forcible statements. Like they're emphatic statements. Verse seven, ask and it, what? Will. It will, it will be given to you. Seek and it will, you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. It's emphatic. It's, it's certain that it will happen, that God will respond this way. I mean, this, this wording is pretty strong. This is pretty encouraging language, actually, uh, for, the, for, the, for the one wanting a cosmic genie for a God, right, where you, you rub it whenever you need to and, and the, out pops the prize, out pops the blessing, right? The, the language makes it seem like there's 100% chance of us getting that which we pray for, right? Jesus reiterates this emphatic language. He clarifies the guarantee of a preferable or a positive result, it would seem, in verse 8, where he continues and says, for everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. So it's, it's, uh, it's just done. It's a, it's a done deal. It sounds like a done deal when we come to God with things. I think of Princess Bride, right? Uh, Wesley, as you wish, with everything, as you wish. Now, all joking aside, this is great news. Like this verse, this verse is really good news. Like I, I, I really need to drink in this verse. This is great news for all those who ask and who seek and who knock. Because God hears, God responds, God gives. That's great news. What a blessing to know that. Like I don't know how people go through life not knowing something like this. Like, I don't understand how they get up every day and do their deal and put one foot in front of another with the way that things are, not knowing this, that, that, that God hears, that God responds, that God gives, right? Um, it sounds in this verse like that which we bring to and request of the Father is a done deal, and it is but only in the way which Jesus means it. Only in the way which Jesus, Jesus means it. So then, the key question is, how does Jesus mean this? How does he mean what it is that he's saying? Is it an open interpretation? Is it an open ask? Does he mean it in the way that he, we hope he means it? That this like includes anything and everything, right? 
uh, which I, I think if we knew what he knew, we would never do that. Um, the truth is I can use a better back right now. There's a bathroom at home that needs to be renovated because of what my kid has done to it. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like I could maybe use a private jet for ministry purposes, of course, you know. Change my name to Creflo Dollar, you know. <laughs> this is why, this, 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 it, these are the texts that these guys use to get a $66 million private jet so that they can be better for God, you know what I mean? Ask for anything and it will be given to you. Is this an open request as long as we genuinely ask, see, seek, and knock? And the answer to these questions are of extreme importance because of our, our view of God and relationship with him depends on a proper understanding of things like this. Or we can get off track really quick. Is this an open ask? Is it a personal seek? Is it a self-serving knock? Or is it more? And the good news is that the rest of the text that Jesus goes into here provides us with a little bit of definition as to what he means by this. So let's keep reading. Are you ready for a parable? You always, you're always going to be given a parable for clarification. You know why? Because that's good teaching. Like, like good teachers do that. They, they, they speak a truth claim and then they give you actual context so that you can see that truth claim at work, right? That's what he's doing with the parable. That's what he, what he does here. So verses 9 and 10, okay? Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Well, for, first off here in this parable, Jesus places us uh, in the position of a parent. And this is kind of weird because in actuality, we're, we're actually the kids also <laughs> that are coming. We know that in the context. But he's actually giving us something that's a little personal, a little something that's relatable, right? So those of you who have had kids, I've had four. Um, so this kind of, I, I, I know what seat to sit in uh, when he places me there. Jesus is putting us in this position of a father, of a, of a parent here. A father whose kid comes to him with a Request, And it is in this request, hidden in plain sight, that we have the qualifier, the stipulation for the father's positive or favorable response in giving. Okay? And uh, what is it? What is it that the child is asking for in Jesus' example? Bread and fish. Now, what do we do with bread and fish? What are they for? They're for food. They're for eating. So, so the child, in his example, is hungry, and he's in need of that which is, a, which is going to appease his hunger. Okay? So this seems reasonable. This seems reasonable. So, so in Jesus' example, the child is asking for something good, we can conclude, not something bad right? Something necessary, not something foolish. Something life-giving, not something lifeless. In this example, which is certainly not arbitrary or random because nothing that Jesus did or said is arbitrary or random. Everything is intentional that he did. In this example, intentionally, the ask and the seek and the knock is for something in line with that which is right and true and necessary. We can conclude that. Right? It's not just anything that's being asked for. It's something. 
that's being asked for. It's something good, it's something agreeable, it's something necessary, it's something reasonable, it's something life-giving. Not just according to the child, but also according to the father, the parent. Right? So, so if we, being the child here, also ask for something right or agreeable according to the, what the father deems right and agreeable, it would be ridiculous to think that he would give us something opposite, something wrong, something bad even. And this is the proper context of this often mistaught, misused text. It is stupid and it is foolish and it is unbiblical to think that we can literally ask for anything, whatever that may be, and God needs to give it to us. Like, that's actually a dumb thing, right? Um, it's especially stupid and foolish to think once we place ourselves in the position of the parent, for those of you that have had kids, right? Um, I haven't had a young kid in a long time. We had four of them. We raised four of them uh, by the grace of God. But I, but I am a, a pretty new grandpa. And that kid's a little over one years old right now, and I get to spend time with him every single day, which is just the, hi just the highlight of my life right now, is watching every detail and taking in, soaking in every detail of his growth and progression that I missed with my four kids because I was just too busy surviving and getting through the day. And so, like, I, I'm just, like, soaking in every little new thing that's happening. And so every day, me and him play. And there's a couple things that he thinks are really good. Two things in particular right now. If we're playing outside, dog poo. If we're inside, the wood stove. Okay? These are two things that are not okay. Like, it, it, and, and it's, so, it, it's just weird how they do this, right? So we're outside, we have this huge backyard, we have this huge fenced grass area, he can go anywhere. There's cars and, and trucks and balls. Like the, the dude is like, is outfitted with everything he needs to have a ball. But he will go and find the dog poo. He doesn't care about the car, he doesn't care about the ball. We're in the house, same thing. We bring all his toys out and, and the grandkid takes over the house when he's there with toys everywhere. And he cannot keep from going to that wood stove and sticking his hands on it. And it's not gonna go well once the cold weather sets in and I start making fires in that thing. It's not gonna go well. But these, for whatever reason, are the things that he's attracted to. These are the things that he thinks are good for whatever, whatever reason right now. He, due to his lack of, ready, knowledge, his lack of knowledge somehow believes and is convinced that these two disgusting and harmful things are somehow good. And when I deny him of those things, when I say no, he thinks I'm bad. You know what I'm saying? He thinks I'm bad. He throws himself now, already at one, onto the ground and does kicking and screaming and this, this whole deal. His, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this clip by Bodhi Bakum. It's like brilliant. But Bauckham has a clip where, where he starts talking about original sin. That we are all, as human beings, born into sin. We have a sin nature. It is hereditary as a result of what happened with our first parents in the garden. Right? That's original sin. But how the, the world will argue against that. 
They will say that the, those bad things that, uh, that are formed in us are formative by uh, basically the culture around us, right? They're, they're culturally learned behaviors, which is a lie out of the pit. And anybody that believes that has not had a baby or a child. That's what he says, right? Because you'll see that from a very young age, before they can even communicate with their mouths, they will tense up. Like they will scream back. They will let you know how displeased they are with you if you don't do what they think you should do. Right? And so he calls them vipers in diapers. You know what I mean? Because like they're crazy. They're like little demons running around sometimes. Right? And he, he says, he says uh, the reason why God makes them so small is so they won't kill you. And the reason he makes them so cute is so that you won't kill them. Right? And I can relate to this right now with my, with my grandkid. Like, I, I, I'm seeing all this, and it's true. It's true. And you and I, this is, this is kind of maybe the more sad part, you and I are so much like this with God. With God. That it's, it really isn't even funny. We too, though we're not infants, are like an infant in our judgments of good and bad in comparison to what God knows to be good and bad. That's right. They are light years apart. Light years apart. We spend a good portion of our lives, even our Christian lives, convinced that certain things are good, being the solution, being the answer, while they're actually in reality things that will harm us and hurt us and even kill us. I don't know if you know this, but I know this. In my Christian walk, we do this not just... Physically, they won't just physically harm us or hurt us or kill us, some of the things that we hope for and ask for and think are good, but, but even in our faith, even in our witness, even in our growth, they will destroy us, right? But we ask and we seek and we knock for these things and we wonder what's wrong with God for not giving them to us, right? And so I have a verse. And you guys know this verse, I'm sure. It's found in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts not yours. What's he referring to here? Well, at the time, uh, uh, Israel's just gone through a string of We'll just call it bad luck for the heck of it. There's just, they're being conquered. They're being dispersed. They're, you know what I mean? These guys are wandering around their nations in, in shambles. And, and what God is doing here is he's making a statement. He's speaking towards a, a deliverer that he is going to bring out of Zion to fix all that stuff. But the truth is, it's not like what they would think, right? Like, it, like the deliverer that he's going to bring forth to, to put them back together ultimately and finally is far better than anything that they could have drawn up for themselves. But they had no idea what it would look like, right? Now, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an astronomer, I'm not an astrophysicist, but like I'm pretty sure that the heavens are quite a ways above us. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're up there. I don't know how many miles it takes for us to get to the moon, but uh, it would take us a while to get there, right? There's this expanse there's this expanse that you and I cannot touch and, and know very little about. 
Very little about. And Isaiah is saying, your cap as a human being, your ceiling, right, for thought and plans and understanding are here. They're right here. But, but God, God has no cap. God has no ceiling when it comes to his thoughts and his plans and his understanding. Us, finite in all of them, him, infinite in all of them. Bottom line, God does not think like us. He does not think like us. He does not plan like us. He does not strategize like us. He does not calculate like we do. He doesn't do things like us because he is not limited like us. He has no ceiling. No ceiling. And because this is true, we can also know for certain that God's perception of good of good is not the same as our perception of good. It's far gooder. (laughs) He perceives good on levels that you and I cannot even begin to comprehend. And that's because of two primary reasons. Number one, he is not bound or restrained by lack of knowledge. We are. Number two, he is not bound and restrained by sin. We are. Therefore, he always knows the greatest good, the greatest good, according to his perfect knowledge of perfect good, along with every possible outcome for anyone, anywhere, through any given circumstance, at all times. We do not. And because this is true, we will oftentimes not understand, not comprehend, not even agree with what God often chooses to do, And how he chooses to do it in our lives. Because we simply do not get what he gets. It is imperative that we keep this in mind. When it comes to our asking. When it comes to our seeking. When it comes to our knocking. Before our heavenly father. That our good meter is broken. Our good meter is broken. His is not is not. Which means that sometimes I can ask for something that I'm fully convinced is a piece of bread or a fish when he knows full well that it's a rock or a snake. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm pretty good at this. And I do it. I think probably the most beloved, comforting, favorite refrigerator life verse of all Christians is Romans 8.28. Right? We all know this one. We all know this one. And we know And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called. And we all look at this and we go, amen, this is so awesome, right? What's the the end of this verse? What's the end of this verse? According to his purpose. Oh, that's not, that's a different kind of good. That's not the kind of good. That's that's not the kind of good that I necessarily think is good. That's the kind. This is this is a promise based on the good that he knows to be good. Not me. All right, we're talking about his good, uh, his good to us. See, it's it's all about his good and purpose because his good is the greatest good and his purpose is the greatest purpose. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, this is true. His is the greatest. 
God in his perfect knowledge and righteousness wants us to know that though we may not understand what he was do he's doing, though we may not agree, we can know that God is good and always performing the greatest good on our behalf according to him, not according to us. Isaiah 55 wants us to know this. Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 11 wants us to know this, which says, if you then, who are evil, not a compliment, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Most important words in this text, how much more? How much more? So, so two things that we need to get out of the statement or that we should acknowledge here. No, number one, God gives good things. God gives good things. Number two, God is more good than the best person that you have ever known, than the best dad that you have ever seen on this earth. And I've seen some, actually some pretty good ones. In fact, I had one. Like the dad that God gave me is one of the best dads that I have ever seen, who just meant good to me, who just, he took such good care of me and protected me so well and loved me to see me receive things that I wanted. Like I had such an awesome dad that was, that was totally for me. But how much more my heavenly father than him, right? This is nuts to think about. Like, like think of the best dad you've ever seen in your life. Like the best person you've ever seen, the most generous, the most loyal, the most kind-hearted, the most sacrificial, the most gracious, the most hopeful, optimistic, the most caring person you've ever known in your life. And, and, and now bury that person under the glory of your heavenly father. In every way, quantum beyond what they were is he. I really needed this text. That God is in fact good to me. That he's good towards me. Not sometimes. Or not on my good days. Or when I'm doing really well in my righteousness. But always. That he's always good towards me. And, and I need to know this. And, and here's why. When I fail to believe this, I find my very relationship with him dangerously, dangerously compromised. Like, dangerously compromised. Have you ever been angry at God? It's a, it's a sucky place. Like, it, it's not okay. And I have. And um, the fruit that it yields out of me and out of my life is not good when I'm angry with God. It's just despair. It's just despair. The, and the, the way I usually end up there is by him not answering one of my asks uh, the way that I think he should. Um, and so I, I get mad. I get mad at him. I, I question at that point his goodness, right? Because if he was good, he would just be doing what I know needs to be done the way that I, I think it should be done. You know what I mean? It's like Chad always says, you know, like, we, like I, I think I'm the best advisor. To God, you know. I base my evaluation of God on uh, not, not being good, 
uh, from something that's actually missing from this text. It's missing from the text. Something that we can all assume is in this text when reading it, but have absolutely no justification in assuming that because it's simply not there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Time. Time. There's no mention of time at all in the Father's response. I just assume that it's there. We, we, are, we are promised that if we ask, we are heard. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be opened. But it doesn't tell me when. It doesn't tell me when. Is that immediately? Is that uh, now? Is it tomorrow? Right? Like, like there's, there's no promise of time, only promise of the package being delivered and opened and considered and responded to by dad with a good intention back. Right, and, and it is in this time thing that I am spiraled into most of my woes, doubts, and concerns about him towards me. Right, that's really where they come from. Like if I pray and in five or ten minutes that prayer hasn't been answered, it's like, well, that's that. Guess God doesn't, you know, care about me right now. You know, like, like it sounds ridiculous, but I mean, come on, that's how I am. I want a burning bush, and I want it yesterday. And if I don't get the burning bush yesterday, then like God obviously hates me, right? I think to myself at that point, like he doesn't mean good towards me. He doesn't care about me. He's mad at me. What about when a year goes by? What about when two years go by? What about when five years go by on something that you've been asking and seeking and knocking for, right? And I get frustrated and I get angry and that anger turns into bitterness and resentment towards the most good being that has ever existed. Me and my wife have a prodigal. Some of you know, some of you have been praying for that prodigal. A lot of you have prodigals. Five years ago, he left for Las Vegas. He always grew up as a strong Christian, professing Christian. In fact, he was probably the strongest out of all four of our kids. Like, he was the real deal. And I remember thinking to myself once in a while, I have no idea why, like, if anyone falls away or goes away or drifts away or does some kind of a deal during their life, it ain't going to be this one. And he fell in immediately with stuff that he shouldn't have fallen into when he got down there. And me and mom cried ourselves to sleep every single night for a little while after knowing what he's into and where he's at and what he's doing, praying, agonizing to God over him, thinking it'll last a couple weeks or the last couple months, he'll be back. Five years later, and he's still doing his deal. And we're still praying, and we're still crying, and we're still agonizing. It's like a nightmare that we cannot wake up from. Because all we want is for this son, this kid, to know God and to live in the presence of God for God. And he's not. And I get mad. Because I believe it's a good thing that I'm asking for. I, I believe I'm asking for bread and a fish. And I feel like God is giving me nothing 
And I don't know how to deal with that. And I know a lot of people like me, like think like me, you know what I mean? Like know what I'm talking about right now. I know that my ask is good for my son to be saved, for my son to live his life in the presence of God, for God. I, I know it's in line with that which the scriptures tell me to desire, right? It's not, not selfish or weird or sideways, right? And, and so I don't understand that when I ask and seek and knock diligently, desperately with tears for this, why? For the life of me, he will not give it. What am I missing? Time. Time. I'm missing Isaiah 55. <laughs> My ways are not yours. I hear you. I care about your son more than you care about your son. I love your son more than you even love your son. I'm, I miss Isaiah 55, right? My, my, my ways, my thoughts, my plan, and even my clock are different than yours. Different than yours. It's easy for me to forget that my parents went through this with me. I was straight gone by the time I was 14. I'd already dropped out of school. I was strung out on drugs. I was living from couch to couch or backyard to backyard under skateboard ramps, whatever, in and out of juvenile hall, in and out of rehabs, like gone. Hated the church, hated God, like, like gone. And my mom would pray and pray. And she went through the same thing, crying herself to sleep every night with intercession over my soul and my life. I wonder what she thinks now. You know what I'm saying? I think her prayer was probably like, God, just please help him not end up in the emergency room tonight. Like, please help him, like, not overdose again. I'll bet her prayers were not like, help him to just fall madly in love with you. Help him to be a church planter. Help him to be evangelists that leads people to the Lord. You know what I mean? Because that's what, that's what she got now. Like, like what God did on his clock far exceeded anything I guarantee you my mom was praying for. And I forget that. How good is God's good? It's, it's far better than yours and mine. It's far better than yours and mine. And if, our desire, if, if, if we desire good things for those we love, how much more will he accomplish his good towards those that he loves? This is really what Jesus is saying here. This is what he's laying out. And the, tr the truth is this, in regards to Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 7 here that we've looked at this morning, the more that we continue to be transformed in our thoughts and our desires and our actions towards God, the more we ask, seek, knock in accordance with the will of God. You guys catch that? I'll say it again. The more we continue to be transformed in our thoughts, desires, and actions towards God, the more we will ask, seek, and knock in accordance with the will of God. It's, it's not that we change him. It's that we're being changed <laughs> to be more like him. Like this is key. This is key to not getting angry with God. <laughs> this is key to asking for things that are really bread and really fish and not 
rocks and snakes. When our idea of good lines up with his idea of good, then all is good. <laughs> with us and in us. All is good. You may not see it tomorrow, but you can believe it today. This is why the greatest prayer that we can ever pray is the one that we possibly dislike the most. Lord, thy will be done. Your will be done. And it's not just mouthing that. It's not just saying that. Or it's, it's believing that, like really wanting that, knowing that it is the greatest good. Lord, thy will be done. Let me close with the most profound example of the greater good of God that we find in Matthew 16. You don't need to go there. I'll just read it to you. This one. This is really just encapsulates what we're talking about here. Jesus confesses to be the Christ to his disciples. The disciples get behind that, and he tells them, hey, don't spread that around. Like, let's keep it to ourselves right now, right? So they know that, that he's, he's the Messiah. And in chapter 21 of verse 16, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And good old Peter, right? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Of men. You see, Peter at this time was absolutely, positively convinced that the greatest possible good was to keep Jesus from going to Jerusalem and dying. Convinced. Fully. But God's greatest good, for the sake of Peter and the entire world, right, was for Jesus to go to Jerusalem and die. The greatest good. God is good all the time. God is up to something all the time. Even when it looks like he is not, he is up to something. He is doing something. God hears, answers, and gives all the time. It may not be exactly what you and I think it should be, but it is so. And we can know it. Because Jesus ain't a liar. And he just told us it's so. Right? Because of what Christ did, because Peter didn't get his way, and was rather rebuked by Jesus, and Jesus went to Jerusalem and died, you and I come to this table right now. You and I come to that which basically signifies a full reconciliation of anything we've ever done or will do that falls short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is here because Christ went to Jerusalem and died. Because the Messiah went there, living a life we could not live, dying a death we should have, and then ascending to the Father where right now him and dad are probably looking at, I don't know, photo albums of us. I, I don't know what they're doing. But, but they're for us. God is for us. The Heavenly Father is our Father because of what Christ did in his faithfulness. And it is by faith that you and I, every day, 
are righteous, clean, sinless before God. Right? So let's enjoy this at this time. Lord God, we thank you again for your text. I thank you so much for the words of your son. More than that, the faithfulness of your son when he came as a man. That, um, that sin did not break through in his life. But that he lived a sinless one. That we may be, uh, have that imputed to us, have that gifted to us. That we may be clean. And so we thank you for freely saving us. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that never ceases. We thank you that there's never a time when they're sleeping or off the clock or don't have time for your kids when they ask and they seek and they knock. But, but just like any father would for any child, we desire our kids to ask and seek and knock. And you are so ready um, uh, to, to attend to us, God. And so we thank you that we can have that promise um, solidified once again by that which we read today, God. All the glory is to you. You are the only one worthy of all worship that goes down for anything. It's all you and none of us. And uh, we acknowledge that and we agree with that as we come to this table at this time. In your son's precious name, amen.